0: welcome welcome you're always the one who says welcome which i like you say
1: hello hello
0: i kind of follow with the yelling we with the we were just welcome. planning
1: like roughly what we're going to say and then Helen was like okay we start with hello like that was some <laughs> kind of like, yeah. revelation
0: i know how to speak <laughs> in a podcast um but yeah hi everyone how's everyone doing hope you're good we're doing good yeah it's been finished another week um and we're back and this week we're gonna be talking about called me by your name
1: yeah which is a movie that recently came out, It premiered at the Toronto Film Festival, I believe, and was also shown at the London Film Festival, was getting standing ovations, like being really talked about.
0: Five star reviews everywhere.
1: Yeah, apparently, I didn't know this actually, but a meme of, there's a big, a moment in the film where one of the characters is dancing, and that oh, was is viral. Ha- yeah, 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 yeah. like earlier in the year. So, so yeah, it's been kind of quite talked about, um, and sure. we went to see it yesterday.
0: Yeah, and it kind of comes all along in a, a longer story of me and Francesca seeing these, seeing these kinds of films, because obviously people compare it, as ever, to the very seminal film Brokeback Mountain. Um, and similarly, we went to see God's Own Country a couple of months ago, yeah, which is a I'm similar film, it. but set in the UK. Well, Goldman, by your name, set in Italy. Um, and we obviously went to see it because, uh, I mean, we may have mentioned this in the podcast before, but my mum went to see it before us, uh, God's Own Country, and came back and was like, I walked out, I did not like it, it was just a boring version of *Brookback Mountain. And <laughs> we were like, and we just was like... Oh, well, I heard it was quite good. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, me too. I've seen adverts for it. So we went to see it with the caveat of the film Hell's Mama Hates.
1: Well, so they're both about, um, both movies are about a young man who's like living with a parents or parent figure. Mm. It's kind of feeling quite um, constrained by the, erupt, the situation that kind of thing, he's yeah. in. So they're kind of coming of age stories. And then in both cases, a mysterious stranger. good looking man yeah, <laughs> comes to, in. Comes to live in his family home. And upends his yeah, life, and in both cases, it then turns into a really touching gay romance. Hmm. Um, but also, which is very
0: atmospheric in terms of the landscape yeah. they have and the setting. And so, stuff. Call
1: Me by Your Name is set in Italy, in like the Lombardy region, and it's beautiful. beautiful, like absolutely beautiful. And then um, God's Own Country, as the name refers to, is set in Yorkshire. And it's High also, in the moors, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, also beautiful, but in a totally different way. Like very a very fu- aggressive kind of.
0: It's very British versus very Italian, I just think. It's like the, the way the, the way Goldstone Country is kind of put together is very, landscape wise, is very, very British. Yeah, Well, I think Goldstone Country, um, Call Me By Your Name is very, like, Italian.
1: <laughs> yeah, I feel like Call Me By Your Name, the landscape is sumptuous and um, welcoming whereas in God's Own Country it's harsh yeah it's oppressing them and constraining them making they have to work on the land and try yeah, and get yeah. stuff out of it so but interestingly both these films although in theory could be kind of labelled a gay romance and obviously that is a part of the movie hmm. it it sort of transcends that label and it's just a universal movie about desire in yeah. both cases yeah
0: so it's definitely it's so that's been that's kind of been our, our story well our route to both of these films and obviously you've seen Moonlight yeah. haven't you which is again yet another similar film plot wise but wholly different in terms of setting and uh, kind of some other key issues that are involved in the film so it's been an interesting you know that's kind of why we've sort of picked up on Call Me By Your Name because it's a third of three films that have been universally kind of praised that mm. kind of carry similar, similar themes so that's what we what we picked up on and kind of what's been kind of we've been thinking about in the last couple in the last yeah, week yeah
1: so it's it's a movie you know when a movie gets all five star reviews is being like reviewed everywhere as being fantastic mm. and then you go and see it and you're just completely engulfed and like sucked into it i mean it's a, over two hours long this movie oh yeah but well, it's you, long... you don't notice it like you just feel like you're there and you want to be spending time with the characters and it's very low stakes in terms of it's it's drama. Like, obviously, it, there are dramatic and mm. moments and tragic moments and happy moments and moments of elation and, like, despair, but it's all very relatable.
0: Yeah, there's not... There's not, It's not harsh in any way. It doesn't, like... It, it doesn't pull you in any direction. You're just sort of, like, experiencing it and you don't feel too, like... I don't know. I, I wish I wouldn't say it was sensationalist. That's the thing. It doesn't, like... Force you to like feel something. It just sort of plays in front of you and you experience it. And... It
1: feels rather like you've been to Italy yourself. Um, oh I mean, yeah, that's true because true. so the film is quite long. The plot is that this young guy who's called Elio, who is um italian american i think italian
0: Um, french american
1: yeah i mean that's not really the point yeah there's a line where
0: he says we're italian we're french we're american we're jewish i think that sort of reflects his multi-identity
1: i I was going to say it also comes back to his kind of he he has this air of being highly intelligent he's always reading a book he's always precociously intelligent but he's precociously intelligent yeah and he's sort of he's Again, clearly feeling somewhat restricted by the situation he's in. He's, like, in this beautiful, like, holiday home. Italian villa, which is, like, great. Yeah, which is, like, the house of your dreams. But for him, who's, like, a 17-year-old boy, like, it's kind of not what you want to be.
0: And he's constrained by that. And equally, I think he... I read a review that was kind of saying that Elio he commands every room he's in by possibly being the most interesting person there. Mm. But then he operates in this world of being slightly isolated from everybody because he's just slightly different. You know, he's always transcribing music to himself. And whenever anyone says, oh, Elio, come over here, join in with us, he's al- it's always done with a sense of, like, he's, feel he's a little bit too good to be joining in. Not that he's mean to them, but it's more the fact that he hesitates or he's always doing something else off in another world and... He has a sense of having to be like called over because he's always kind of half away. And yeah. I think it kind of comes from the fact that he... And he's an only child, but I think it's because this intelligence that he has. So Elio has gone to Italy for the summer with his parents. Yeah, and I was going to say... As this kid.
1: His, his parents are... <laughs> incredibly loving incredibly supported there are so many moments where he's like embracing them and like he's he's living in this very comfortable situation so his parents are very much like you can talk to us about anything mm.
0: um there's a lot of like ta- they're very tactile the family yeah, they're yeah. always touching and laughing with each other and
1: very like his parents European. are
0: very welcoming which is interesting because if you think about god's in country for example the whole point is that he's very isolated from his family
1: and his parents and his family
0: don't talk about it's anything. very emotionally repressed, yeah. yeah. But again, get English versus Italian. You know, I think Italians are known for being very like, woo, open with their emotions in their families, while English are very restrained. So it's an interesting different, it's an interesting parallel and difference between the two families. But this is the kind of thing that Elio's living in. And then obviously his world is not invaded, but
1: Well, definitely turned upside down
0: by the um, by the arrival of the grad student, and this time it's Oliver, who is a twenty four year old American, played by Army Hammer. Of course it's Army Hammer because he has to be a very American like man big tan very like genial and he keeps saying oh later 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 and they make a comment on the fact that he's very like um blasé and Elio says oh you know when he leaves the boy just be like for good he'll be like later and then just leave and I think that's actually expressed with a a sense of kind of fear that Mm. Elio increasingly sort of feels that you know Oliver's just going to throw him aside and wander away because he has that sort of blasé personality. And increasingly Oliver becomes an, intri- an intrigue to Elio so much that he's sort of like creeping into his room and looking through his stuff and always aware of him. And then it kind of becomes clear that he and Elio are actually quite attracted to each other. If the parents wholly <laughs> encourage as they well, do. it's quite funny. But it's
1: a real, real slow burner because mm. at first, you know, in, in a way that is very realistic of when somebody is introduced into your life, like at first he's kind of resents him a bit and he clearly is a bit concerned about who he is. And then he starts to... They become friends, don't Yeah, they? Elio starts to clearly have feelings for him. There's this, this scene we were referring to earlier at the dance floor where... <laughs> Oliver is just, like, letting go to this, like, 80s classic, you know. Yeah, like and
0: being... an army Hammer has talked in interviews about how he just can't dance. Yeah. And then he had to do this. Now it's become, like, a meme, hasn't it? So... He was there being like, great, I have to just dance and just go for it. And... But it's
1: interesting because, so he seems like, obviously Armie Hammer, a very good looking guy. and He seems like this this just almost like perfect looking person. Mm. And actually when he dances in this really awkward way, you could see how endearing that would be. Yeah. Um, so he's got, there's this mo- this scene where like Oliver, sorry, Elio is gazing at him while he dances. And it's so kind of recognisable of anybody mm. who's ever been in a situation where you've just been watching someone who you maybe Love. feel like, yeah, yeah, maybe you feel like you can't be with and I think that really pinpoints the film's just emotional universality. Mm-hmm. Like, it's really about, like, every single human emotion, I feel like, is expressed in the film at some point.
0: No, definitely. It's quite a, and it's, think that's what makes the film so, I, I talk about it as comforting and as an experience, because it's so recognisable. Um, and that's kind of what people say, you know, the reviews have been saying that it transcends being just a Brokeback Mountain-esque you know, exploration of gay love, even though it's a, especially when it's restricted. This film is different in a way than *Brookmont Mountain* because it actually just exploring love as a whole between families and friends, and um, between people who you know, love each other. Um, you know, in terms of romantic love, not familial love. And I think you know, you watch it, and even though you're like, "This has never happened to me," these people, I'd never met them. There's a sense of it feels familiar, and yes. they really. And I think the slow burn is good in that because it gives you real time to like lean into the film and to really get an idea of who the characters are and to see their idiosyncrasies. Like Oliver in particular, who is meant to come across as an American, bit of American jerk, but actually has this vulnerability to him that comes across particularly when he's with Elio and you, you see them start to worry for the future of their relationship. And, you know, in the scene where they're in Rome together and Elio's asleep and um, Oliver is sort of watching him from the window. And there's a sense of that sadness there that you wouldn't have been able to see had they not been so slow and so not action packed. And it's yeah. just so, it's so familiar and it's so comforting to watch because you're just like, these things, I recognise them. And then you kind of start to remember what they feel like. It's sort of like a little cathartic episode it yourself as well. It is very
1: cathartic. Yeah, I feel like the, the last shot, which we won't spoil because, yeah, this is a spoiler for Um, but the, the last shot is so kind of heart-wrenching and just... It completely drums home like how these emotions affect you, and mm-hmm. I think that's very to me is very powerful in terms of like making making LGBTQ relationships very acceptable in in society. You know, yeah, because, because really the same really shows as that. Anyone else's, yeah, exactly, yeah. and it it makes people watching be like. That's exactly how I feel, that's no different. And I think, you know, obviously you and I don't walk into it with that view, but like some people maybe do walk into a movie Mm -hmm. like this and be like, oh, I'm watching a gay romance, like what does that mean? You know, how's this going to be different? And that's not the case at all. Although we should point out that the movie is set in the 80s and part of the reason that the characters sort of hide their relationship is is because of that like less accepting society that they're living in. Yeah,
0: but one of the really interesting points about this film that I think done on purpose so it's obviously set in this very idyllic italian countryside um it's crema isn't it in northern italy um and it's meant to be that way it's meant to be comforting and warm and to really just focus on the set pieces of a very happy full life you know there's lots of food everywhere people are always talking smoking drinking everyone's having a great time Mm You know, the family your know, friends and family come and go in the house and Elio's always kissing and hugging his parents and he's with his friends and it's sort of the sense of this warmth, warm acceptance that Oliver gets brought into. Yeah. And actually there's no I was worried there was this, there's scenes where they're like together in the street being affectionate with each other. Um, and I was sitting there waiting for something bad to happen. Yeah. Or Elio has a couple of... Elio has a nosebleed at one point. Yeah, which I is, thought the nose bead was the beginning of the yeah, episode. Yeah, which is probably meant to be just an enabler for him and Oliver to express an actual care and concern for him. Because obviously he's having this nosebleed and everyone's like, no, it's fine, it happens all the time. And Oliver is like, oh my God, are you all right? Yeah. So it's that Id- idyllic kind of nothing bad happens, you know, and nothing violent or loud happens. There's no shouting or screaming or arguments. And I think... That's the point the film's trying to make as well, is that the outside world is definitely still there. And it's the 80s. You know, if they'd chosen to, there could have been these scenes where, you know, they were confronted for their relationship and hurt by it, hurt by these people who wanted to hurt them and didn't like their relationship. But there's this this, little bubble that they live in where this doesn't happen. And that's kind of maybe meant to be the sense of the film as well. Like it is just an episode, a holiday romance where consequences aren't really there and things don't matter and you can be happy in who you are because of this sort of sense of just a moment of safety and freedom yeah and that's that's um,
1: a good point you made about oliver's experience because he at first you're like oh he's this cocky american he has it all made but actually he is when he's in italy that is a transformative emotional moment for him and Mm it allows him to we aren't really sure whether he's had homosexual relationships in America or not. It's ever really sad. Yeah. And I guess you assume perhaps he has, but here it's that he's able to be so much more in touch with his emotions and to yeah. really explore that side and of him.
0: And then the film, the past, doesn't feature at all. They don't really talk about it. You have no idea what Oliver does with his time when he's away from the house. It's all very present. They don't go back and forth. There's no flashbacks, nothing like that. It's all, I felt very present after I... A kind of left it and i think after left the film and i think that's a mixture of this way the plot works and from the fact it's all very tactile it's all the sun and the music and the sounds like it's all very like it brings you very much into the present and then you just experience the film and you leave and you know the safety bubble yeah you don't hear much about oliver's past because it doesn't matter no if it did matter then oliver may have had it, you know been different but he wasn't you know that you i got a sense that once the film ended, I was like, "Oh, so he completely just ignored his Im- what was happening at home and yeah, was totally well, present in this six weeks of summer bliss." You know?
1: Yeah, and I think that definitely draws comparisons to other movies which sort of deal with a sort of transient romance. Like one of them that came to mind for me was Before Sunrise, which is about a couple who meet mm-hmm. on a train and then explore Vienna for the evening. Oh, yeah. And okay. it's this idea that they is they're just completely in the moment the whole time, and will will their romance last? Do you think probably not? Mm. Um, And the other comparison that we were talking about after we'd seen the film and we didn't actually realise that there was an obvious comparison to be made was that it reminded us of A Room with a View. One Mm -hmm. of the other things you mentioned earlier was the use of the music and the sort of sensory aspect of it, which also you could form a comparison with A Room with a View Mm -hmm. with the movie um, and, and the book, but they say that the only time she feels her true self, Lucy, is when she's playing the piano. And Elio has all these scenes where he is he kind of mixes up his piano playing like it's to kind of taunt and like flirt really with Oliver. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and the sort of motifs of the music is kind of recurring throughout. And I think as you were saying, it really makes that into a very like present sensory experience of you feeling like you are there. Mm-hmm. Um, and also like those music kind of haunts you afterwards. Like I don't know about you, but I went home and I
0: was like, okay, I want to like download all these songs and <laughs> like listen to them, you know? Yeah. I think I will have to, actually did mean to do that. And I think also, I read obviously the um, the fact that Elio is a musician and expresses a lot of himself through music is an interesting little point to his character that I liked, and especially the piano they have in it. Um, it's very present from the beginning. They they open the title card with this intense, very like light, um, free kind of um, slightly contemporary piano playing, mm. and throughout it, they kind of I read a thing that was saying that the way the music works, particularly the the piano instrumental kind of mirrors Elio's emotions and it gets more intense um, and like kind of present and loud as Elio's having these emotional moments with Oliver by himself and I think that was really cool too because it they say that you know these things are markers and signposts of I think, at least, of what, what you should be feeling, particularly for music. I feel like the reason they have music in films is because they want to signpost to you how you should be feeling or what's going to happen next. Like, suspenseful music when it's suspenseful, sad music when it's sad. You know, it seems very obvious. But and I think that really helped to guide me through the film as well because I felt that this music was mirroring the emotional journey of the film. So it was great. Yeah, definitely great use of music. And as you say, um, parallels the room with a view, yet again.
1: Yeah, and then they also kind of bring in lots of Again, in the opening sequence, is a whole all these series of these slides of so pictures mm, of these mm-hmm. ancient statues that they found, mm-hmm. like um, under. The, so his, which his father, the researcher, has been looking into, and I feel like there's a lot of parallels with classical antiquity and kind of yeah the so. the way that the camera sort of lingers over both of their profiles as well. It's like mm. they both, I mean, they're both yeah very handsome as we already established. Um, but that kind of yeah, it works in in. Making you feel like this is this is a film that is very connected with like the culture and the yeah. culture of Italy.
0: And I think the dad says at one point when he's showing the slides to Oliver, um, you know, look at the sort of way in they move in the culture of their bodies, and I think the sort of sense of a sense of freedom again, because obviously as well, you know, in Greek culture, ancient Greek culture, even you know, there's a lot of these. I thought they had a much better grip on their sort of on the meaning of emotion and that kind of thing That's, at least from what I read in Greek poets and that yeah. kind of thing and the epics so to kind of compare with that and equally as we know, in, you know the, in the ancient Greek armies and Roman armies there's a lot of homosexual relationships there because they could be in there for years and I feel like the ancient Greeks and Romans tend to be a bit more free with the way in which they express their emotions and their sensuality and so to parallel with the you know, these male statues that themselves exude sensuality I think again it's, it's not a, an appropriate it's not an inappropriate kind of comparison to make. And again it does help to guide you through the film, Mm. I think. So and you know, to kind of finish up, one of the kind of most more unexpected things about the film I think was the relationship between Elio and his parents, particularly his father, who gives this really lovely kind of monologue at the end about Elio's feelings and what it really means. And as a lot of people have pointed out, it's the longest kind of sustained piece of of speech.
1: Yeah, like um, Variety, who did a great review, they, they said that it was the only part of the movie that was sort of unrealistic. Mm. Because everything else, I would say the dialogue, is very much as people speak. Mm-hmm. And this is much, yeah, as you say, much more extended. Um, but they said that the film offers this conversation as a gift to audience who might have desperately needed to hear it in their own lives. Mm. Which I think connects back to what you were saying about the catharsis. Mm. Because... It is, I think, that their parental warmth and the embrace of their home Mm. is really, really comforting to watch as a viewer. And if you're lucky enough, as I definitely say I am, and I think you're as well, Mm -hmm. having like very, you know, caring, loving parents, and it's familiar. But if unfortunately you don't have that situation, I think it would feel like a sort of embrace of like if you're Mm. not happy or you're, you know, you feel alone, other people in society will accept you and accept you for
0: who you are. Mm. And it is interesting. The fact that I think in a lot of films parents are used as a sense of uh, restriction or yeah. someone to fight against, and the fact that Elio has no no quarrel with his parents at all. He relies on them. At one point, when he's in this men, a, a period of distress, he calls his mom oh, and is like, "Which is you, just
1: heartbreaking." Yeah, really it's like,
0: "Can you come pick me up?" And I recognize that, like, yeah, definitely. You know, I would call my mom if my was eight hours away and be like, "Mom, come get me."
1: Yeah, and and that sort of moment, um, you know, he's by calling her, he's sort of admitting to something that he prior to that hadn't actually said out loud um but you know that's and then you know she drives him home and he's crying and it's just it's so yeah it's just so moving and I think there the film is so thought out in terms of the effect it wants the how it wants the audience to feel Mm -hmm. and how unafraid it is of showing how the characters feel
0: Mm. and in the end I think it's just basically like watching a very true um portrayal of what an Italian romance in the summer might have been might be like, and I feel it kind of helps. I like the fact that I could go into it and be like, "This is probably how it would go down." It's it's very realistic. It's very sort of like gentle and real. So it could happen to anybody who watched that film, or that yeah. it could ha- it could have happened to anybody, and we all identify with lots of different parts of the film. So just to watch it was just such a lovely experience. Yeah. in the end,
1: I agree, and I think that that again that universality which we keep coming back to, to go back then to the the sort of antiquity Mm. thing, I think that again, yeah, it it all adds to the idea of you feeling as though this is quite a timeless piece. And actually when I was watching it, I didn't realise it was set in a particular era, the eighties, until there must have been a specific reference that actually made me realise. But on the whole, aside from the fact they don't use phones or social media, it's Mm. very much just well a bubble, as you said earlier. Yeah,
0: a bubble and it's it's nice
1: yeah so i think although the film is is sad you have been warned <sighs> yeah it is also really kind of hopeful and Thoughtful look at what it means yeah. to be
0: alive, and I think resolved. I mean, obviously, there's plans maybe to, there to be a sequel because the book yeah, is based. Because the book it's based on, it goes a little bit further and as it looks 25 years into the future mm. and sees what's happening. So, I mean, fair enough, they could make a sequel, um, but equally they couldn't, and I would feel that like the story had been resolved. Yeah, well,
1: that's interesting. With Before Sunrise, the movie I mentioned earlier, which is by the director Richard Linkl- Linklater. Ah, um, oh, does ring a bell. Yeah, he he did. School of Rock randomly oh, that's but like, a, that is a but classic this, this is nothing really like school of rock <laughs> yeah. but in that movie this couple meet and they're in their early 20s and they have this this night together in in Vienna walking around and then there are two sequels mm. so there's one called Before Sunset yeah which is set in Paris about 10 years later oh. and then there's another one Before Midnight which is set like about 10 or 15 years after that oh. and it's quite funny because I love the first film and I find this the other two films to be very interesting movies and enjoyable but in a very different way because they don't have that first love, first romance that that Before Sunrise has and also this movie has and I think that's part of why it's so appealing and in a way to see, you wouldn't want to see Elio like, you know, regretful and middle-aged or something, would you? Like it wouldn't have the same... No,
0: it's so true. It wouldn't
1: have the same feeling of nostalgia that this movie kind of has. Yeah. The whole film is kind of bathed in this like picture, picture postcard perfect warm light
0: it's just like being in italy wasn't it
1: yeah and that's it's not rose tinted because you know it is it does feel real but it does have that looking back at a life that, or something that happened to you i
0: think yeah i mean i think you never mentioned to me that it sort of could be seen as a A retrospective by elio mm. um you know because again a lot of it is it's all kind of from his perspective really mm. what you see of oliver is when he's with elio you don't really see oliver on Oliver doing his own thing because the whole point is Elio is the centre of the film.
1: But him watching him.
0: I mean, they could make a sequel, but I think it's quite it's got quite a closure yeah. overall.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's made me want to watch more of the director's other work, which I haven't seen. Mm.
0: It, and... and interestingly, um, the, the director Luca. Oh, I can't say his yeah. last name. Luca
1: Guadagnino. Guaggia... Oh. Luca.
0: Guadagnino, okay, sorry any Italian listeners, feel free to yell at us for doing it wrong, but the whole point what my point is, I have a friend who has worked with him on the film he just did recently with Uma Thurman in it Um, oh, The Big Splash, I think that's what it was called, and essentially that one and they kind of think that and my friend is also going to work with him on his next film, but he didn't work on him with this film, which is quite funny. But he had to
1: say, missed out there. Like... Yeah, I know.
0: But um, apparently, the last two films, A Bigger Splash, and the other one that he did, the, the first, the two previous, could be seen as sort of like in the same world. Yeah, in a sense, I saw that. because they're both set. They're all set in Italy.
1: Yeah,
0: they're all kind of about a situation, a, a situation like the one of the Thurman's when two couples are. In a house together, and kind of like what happens. Mm. So, but that's an interesting fun fact about the director. I have a friend who has worked with him. Apparently, he's like he seems like a kind of person from what I've heard and read that he's very like visionary. And just have to get out of his way.
1: If, yeah, it he's sounds very, like, as though Phew. this filming process was very intense, mm. sort of idyllic in some ways, but also very all-consuming.
0: But, yeah, there's no. I mean, I've. I mean, Army Hammer has a wife and two kids, and that's really great. <laughs> that, that
1: but article where it was like. He had to leave his wife and two kids. But <laughs> we read Last article, which, yeah, it was quite dramatic about that. But but no, I'm sure it must have been a very all-consuming, emotional journey for the actors. I mean, Timothy Chamolais, I presume I may be saying that right, who knows, um, who plays Elio, <laughs> Was is very young. He's only 21. I know. And he is the emotional core of that movie. Mm. Um I mean, he clearly he must be, he's obviously very talented and mature, but yeah, it's it's a fantastic performance by him, but also, I think, a very understated performance by Army Hammer because he, in a way, has the harder role to play. You know, the mysterious outsider, you don't really know what he's really up to or what he's thinking for most
0: of the movie. Yeah, and the book can't provide you with that either. I, uh, he said that he had a look at it and he was just like, nope, Cause it's all the from So, yeah, we have to give kudos to all the people involved in the making of that film because yeah. Oh, great performances from, particularly people focused on the two boys and then the parents as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I, yeah, maybe I'll check out the book. And
0: I was thinking kind of... I might check out the book, but yeah. um, I think it's obviously a bit different. Elio's, and we're inside Elio's head, but who knows? So yeah, that is "Call Me by Your Name." If you're interested in seeing it, hopefully we shouldn't have spoiled it. We didn't. No, spoil I don't. It. I
1: don't think so. Um, and then we would also, yeah, recommend God's Own Country, which I think is still floating about a few picture house
0: cinemas. Mm, yeah, and Moonlight as well. If you want to get on the high, I mean, that I one think most Oscar, people saw so. Moonlight. Yeah, I I'm, except for you. <laughs> except for <me>. Whoops, <laughs> but yeah. But uh, yeah, but yeah. And this has
1: also had Oscar buzz, so it'll be
0: interesting to see. Uh, yeah,
1: that and Shyamalan
0: and um, Army Hammer and loads of different upcoming things. Yeah. So, that should be good. But yeah, that's our <laughs> discussion. Sorry if it felt it was a bit unstructured, but it's difficult to talk. It's all structured way through that film because I, you know, we just wanted to talk about it because we enjoyed it so yeah, much. Yeah, definitely. But on the subject of enjoying things, oh gosh, there we go, there's a segue. Um, <laughs> what well, have you been enjoying this week, plan?
1: Well, so over the weekend, I went to Paris. Oh, yes, of course. Um, which I really enjoyed, hadn't been for many years since I was quite a young teenager. Mm. Um, so I got to experience all the cultural delights um, and the wine and the cheese. <sighs> Um, was amazing I loved seeing the um, water lilies in the orangery. Um, oh, I
0: love that I, I love that it's um, spectacular display. isn't it's, it it's wonderfully done
1: the way they've displayed it so for anyone who hasn't been it's a big circular well a series of circular domed rooms and the lilies are displayed on on the walls mm. but it again, it's very, like, engulfing, and you sort of feel like you're there. And this is Monet's Water Lilies. Yeah, sorry, I didn't make that clear. <laughs> um, <laughs> the Water Lilies. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Monet's p- paintings of Water Lilies, yeah. And I also love the Musée d'Orsay, which is a oh, converted that. railway station which was also a, a World War Two postal centre. It has this really interesting history and now houses mm-hmm. all these beautiful Impressionist paintings, other yeah. Monets and Renoir and Degas. And they have...
0: It's really. I remember I was in one of the... I went there, like, this time last year. Mm. So I've been relatively recently, too, and saw the Musee d'Orsay and all the yeah. Paris has got some great stuff and... You know, there's a room where they were being like, yeah, so 1977, it was given over to the government. And what did the French government do with it? They made it into a museum. And I'm like, yes, French government. Well, it's yes. funny because
1: we traveled through St. Pancras and, and I was thinking it's a very similar building interior wise to St. Pancras. Yeah. But it'd be like if someone made that into a museum. <laughs> um, and they've got this amazing clock face where you can mm. stand and like, look out through the clock face, you know, over the city. So, yeah, I really enjoyed that. Um, and while I was there, uh, my friend who I went with lent me her copy of The Circle. Um Ooh, remind me who that's by. Dave Eggers. Okay. And it was, it, you might have heard of it because well, it was really big when it came out a few mm. years ago, and then it was actually made into a film. Yeah. Which didn't oh, do well. at Yeah. Which, yeah, it's on Netflix. Yeah, but apparently, according to my friend, it's not a very good film, not a very good adaptation. Okay. And it didn't do very well at all in the box office. Mm. But the movie is basically, oh sorry, the, the book is basically um, the plot of a girl who gets a job at this kind of Facebook-like corporation called The Circle, but it, it said it's it's as if it's a, an internet system existed which encompassed Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or your bank account, like everything. Mm. Um, and clearly it's going to have a kind of darker side yeah. that she's going to discover. So I haven't got to her discovering that yet, but yeah, it's, it's, an, it's an interesting one. So um, my friend Laura, shout out to Laura. Who, Woohoo, um, love you! <laughs> yeah, and a big fan <laughs> um, So um, she compared it to The Power, um, kind mm. of similarly, it's a mm. sort of dystopian type novel, which has been really made a splash. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to hear that. And I also think it's really fascinating to me that the movie did so badly, given that it had Emma Watson in, um, Tom Hanks. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, it was a really good cast. Um, obviously, that doesn't always mean a film is good, but mm. um, perhaps it's quite difficult to, to portray on screen. But it's um, so far has been very absorbing and it's very... Easy to visualize. I feel like I can just visualize this campus that's supposed to be the the Facebook type campus Ooh, so well. Okay. Um, so yeah, I'm enjoying that, and I'm excited to see how that develops.
0: How about you? How about me? Well, uh, in terms of reading, I've been um, I've been playing off. Well, I left my copy of the Amber Spyglass. I'm on the Amber Spyglass now. I've gotten mm. through the flip Pullman books quickly. I left my copy of that, which I finally. So just to you know, quickly you know move over to this um I never really understood what dust in terms of the Philippine world yeah, meant no me
1: neither. and
0: I and you know the fact that the so the whole point of dust it's this like part of these golden particles that surround adults and not really children so much and I never understood like what it was or why puberty or what he actually was trying to say and then there's a scene in the Amber Spyglass where she's with the uh, the tu- not the Tulapi the Malefa, Mary the character the scientist is with these strange creatures who um, have a diamond-shaped um, spine structure and they care for these tree pods and they use the tree pods as wheels and they have this very connection with the environment and nature, blah, 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 blah. And it's actually, their, li- their way of life is kind of meant to be like a metaphor for dust and how it works with, with um, consciousness and life um, because they have these wheels that they hook their back and front legs into and they can means they can roll around mm. uh, and the wheels are made of seed pods from the trees they care for. And they're full of this oil, and the younger mulefa can't use the wheels um, because they're too young. And there's a sense that he says, Mary, the Mary's notes that there's a sense that the younger, the younger mulefa can't have this extra wisdom or sensitivity that the elder ones do because they haven't. The oil doesn't, they, you know, the oil hasn't kind of soaked into them yet and they haven't got this interaction with it. The whole point is the oil seeks so- into the claws of the malefo as they get older when they're using the wheels and it somehow gives them something a little bit extra. And it's like, oh, right. So the fact that children, as they go through puberty, the dust settles on them because puberty and the whatever extra sort of grown up adultness that brings gives them an understanding of the world that is different. Similar to the way that the Malefa children can't be fully be wise and sensitive because they haven't yet started using the oil. Right. So, anyway, so that was interesting that I finally understood what he was trying to get at with dust and like how it's this sense that once you get older and you start to experience and know what sin mm-hmm. is, then actually it gives you a better understanding and acceptance of the world and how existence and what everything means. So, that's basically why I finally figured out what he was trying to say, if that makes any sense. You're looking at me yeah. like,
1: no, no, I do, no, it just, it took me a while to get what you were saying. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, because I mean, as I said, I think in an earlier podcast, I haven't read these books since I was about 11. No, we I mean haven't, um, yeah. But I do want to reread them, because I do remember a lot of it I didn't really kind of get, but mm. I enjoyed, but didn't really quite understand, yeah. so it would be nice to reread it as an adult, and I still obviously want to read The Book of Dust, so I've just got i have got all of that to get through. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a lot, but luckily it's, it is is a quick read, but yeah. anyway, I put that down recently because I left it. On my desk at home, and I have the Princess Diaries by Carrie Fisher, mm. which I picked up because uh, the, st- the new Star Wars is coming out. I just rewatched uh, the Last Jedi. I love Star Wars, and equally, um, I love Carrie Fisher. I think she's really great. Um, actually, mm. I love. Uh, it's very sad that she's dead, but equally, she is made such a mark with her life that I'm mm. amazed by her. So I picked up, and it's basically a compendium slash uh, retrospective of her time filming the first three Star Wars. Films. This is
1: the one that she that was published. Uh, last year, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's relatively
0: recent. Um, And if you've seen it in a shop, it's got a picture of Princess Leia with a pen through her bun in it. Mm The Princess Diaries. It's quite clever. And, um, it's basically she found these diaries that she kept as an 18, 19, 20 year old, um, on the set of the first Star Wars and onwards. Um, and which she didn't know she had. Yeah. And she was sort of flipping through them and she kind of started to, rem- not to remember, but she got this perspe- re- perspective on how she was thinking and feeling at the time as a, a as a very young woman mm-hmm. who actually was suffering from the kind of effects of having a famous mother, Demi Reynolds, yeah. increasing um, mental issues like bipolarism, which she would be diagnosed with later, and alcoholism and drug abuse and this kind of whirlwind she was thrown into while being in Star Wars. And she talks a lot about how at the time, she felt, at the time, she was very full of bravado and wit and pretending she was more confident than she was. But actually, now she's looking back, she knows that it was all a defence mechanism. Mm. Which sort of preludes her relationship with Harrison Ford, which obviously, when she put the book out, she's like, lol, I'd tell what about how I set with Harrison Ford, yeah. woohoo! And that was like the big draw. Yeah. And I would be like, I love, I think that, the relationship between the two of them, I find it very intriguing anyway because they're Han and Leia, like, who wouldn't be interested? So that, but equally, she's such got such a strong voice. Like, she talks about herself in such a deprecating way. Like, I'm nothing, not I'm nothing special, but she always was aware she was nothing special. She was always so unconfident and so insecure Mm -hmm. and so worried about everything. And, you know, Harrison Ford, she doesn't talk to him for the first couple of months of filming, I think, because she's so kind of intimidated by him. Right, yeah. And then she has this very, like, intense relationship with him that kind of, you know, leads her to say that she always would love him, but equally, Harrison doesn't have the same perspective because he's 15 years older than her. So it's really intriguing, and equally, it's really great to sort of be thrown back into the time of the 80s and the 70s and yeah. Star Wars and um, kind of what that was like. Because I, I find it personally a very interesting subject, and also her voice is amazing. She's really funny and has a real like truth to what she says. She's so observant. You know, everything she says, you're like, oh, yeah, that's absolutely how people behave and feel. Mm. And anyway, and it's interesting because obviously, she, she was a woman in a male-dominated industry with Harvey Weinstein thing and she mentions how on set everyone was man basically she's the only woman I think in Star Wars apart from there is a leader of the rebellion I can't remember her name but she's a woman senator something but not in it nearly
1: as much of no not at all so to so,
0: so see her perspective as a woman and a very strong-minded woman in the male dominated film world is interesting too so I've been reading The Princess Diaries and yeah, I'm enjoying it, it a sounds,
1: lot. Um... Yeah, because I remember when it came out, and I think it came out last September, so it was before she sadly passed away, mm. um, and I remember, yeah, all the sort of salacious like headlines about her with Harrison Ford, but I was really intrigued, because I think I didn't really know about her author side, the author side of her, mm. but she also wrote another book, which I can't remember the name, do you know what it's called? Like, it's a novel.
0: Okay. Which
1: is about growing up with a famous mother, and then it was made into a film. Oh. Um, but Bring it's on. it's very well respected, so yeah. Yeah, and she's... she's... Yeah. Intrigued by that.
0: No, and she's known for having um, uh, wishful drinking. Postcards from the edge. That's
1: it. Postcards from the edge.
0: Oh, she's written quite a lot of different things. Shockaholic. But um, she's known for altering the Star Wars scripts a lot you know for getting a pen and oh really yeah i think she the last jedi i think the screenwriter said that he went and sat in her house with her apparently she has like a quite a famous house somewhere in la where it's all very carry and everything's crazy and chaotic but it's very like homely and cozy and she likes to invite people in old oh, it i think that's what i heard and he went through the entire script with her of the last jedi because she's actually quite a force in terms of a creative force and an intellectual one you can tell she's so smart yeah and so her voice is just really unique. I'm makes me sadder that she's gone because I think she was a very unique and, you know, she wasn't, she was a kind of, she added, I feel like she added to things she was in and involved with mm. because she was that interesting and great, so.
1: Yeah. No, the movie, uh, Postcards of the Edge, had Meryl Streep and Shirley MacLaine in i thought it was like because I, I was like how did this pass me by but obviously it was maybe you know a while ago it was 1990 and yeah. um, the movie came out and i think the, the book came out before but yeah i'm very interested to read some carrie fisher maybe we should get it on the book
0: club syllabus oh, oh my gosh yeah i know <laughs> that would be good that would be good so that and then overall i've been enjoying i have oh well, i will say i've been enjoying it i didn't like outlander last week i found it a bit dull. But this week, Outlander was great. Really enjoyed it.
1: So I haven't seen it yet. Really, um, really
0: enjoyed it. But
1: yeah, I'm glad, you, I'm glad that you are saying
0: that. Yeah, it's a classic Outlander thing. You know, they move on to the next stage of the story yeah. and you're like, finally something's happening. Okay, blah, 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 blah. And you know, once and it's a classic of Claire and Jamie that as soon as they are in the middle of doing some action their relationship is fine because they're I know, bad I did read a review
1: bored. where someone was like, maybe their relationship is actually really, really flawed because majority of the time they're just in peril, or someone else is in peril, or they're trying to stop their historical yeah. event from happening. And like these episodes that preceded the one this week have been more kind of contemplative hmm. and they've had a lot of problems. So, but they were like, maybe those problems aren't actually because of the fact that she's come back from 20 years away and more because they actually never have time to deal with their issues. But I guess so. Counteract that, you're probably supposed to think that they do have downtime that we just don't see. Yes,
0: yeah, so. and there are a couple of really sweet moments in this episode um, okay. that are very much that do counteract that. But I do to see what you mean, especially because they got married so, as they keep saying, you know, they get married really early, really quickly, and then all this crazy stuff happens. She's abducted within like a week of their marriage, <laughs> and all this kind of, maybe it's a couple of days actually. Probably
1: like an hour.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a very clear thing to happen, isn't it? So I think that that's. Yeah, that's definitely a thing to think about with their relationship. But there are some little things, aren't there? Like Jamie, like when she and Jamie had that time and Nally Brock together, and they start building a future. I think one of the key problems about Clara in this series is the fact that she would she went back from a very kind of stable life, you know, with a house and no one running after you and trying to kill you, yeah. to this life which is never going to be stable and she's never going to be able to have a home and now everything's crazy and she mm-hmm. does express every now and again I think that she's like I want to have a home and a family and that kind of not a family but I want to have a home and you know, the fact that Claire's now losing that, I think is something that, you know, does cause a bit of tension between them I'm as glad well. that
1: they dealt with that though because mm. I was concerned that they would just be like, oh, she's gone back to her true love and now everything's fine and yes. actually forget that she'd had 20 years of losing a career mm. and building a life and having a home and having a daughter and all of those things are things that she's left behind because mm. that would have been frustrating if they didn't deal with that, so... Yeah,
0: and also when, you know, Claire insists that she keep healing people even though it causes so much trouble for them. <laughs> I do like that because it's very... But yeah, I think... Last episode I was a bit like, oh I wanna know where this show's gonna go and if I'm gonna like it. But I will say this episode's been good, this most recent one. I have enjoyed it. Also because Claire's getting to just do something of her own thing rather than get raped all the time. Which is like, ugh. You have to wait till Brianna, Brianna fights a bear. No, I think I think I have been told it's Jamie who fights a bear, not Brianna. Yeah,
1: I think that's an example of a speed reading Wikipedia and like getting oh you all a bit confused. <laughs>
0: that is so true. But um yeah, that's all that's I can't think of anything else I picked up on this week. I think I saw Thor Ragnarok recently. That was good. I enjoyed that a lot. I can see why it's doing really well. But...
1: Still obsessed with Stranger Things. We haven't, we haven't got over it. We
0: <laughs> haven't got over it still. We keep, we keep like... Um, we, I don't know. We didn't this, retweet this onto our Twitter, but um, it was a thing Francesca sent me earlier today, which was... We will retweet it. On yeah, retweet we will earlier. do it. Um, and Jonathan... The characters play Charlie Heaton and Natalia, Natalia Dyer. Dyer, Dyer yeah. Dwyer Dyer, who play... Um, Nancy and Jonathan in the show are obviously together in real life, which I didn't know until Francesca posted this picture to me. And was like, oh look, it's actually them, and I was like, oh. And then it's like them two having a lovely time. They're
1: like, so he has like lifted her up in the air and is embracing her. Like it's literally like something
0: from a movie. It's very romantic. So they're
1: like having a having a fab, you know, coupley time. Yeah. And then meanwhile, meanwhile,
0: <laughs> Joe Keery is looking at some carpets. <laughs> so it's,
1: it's hilarious, and it's like the caption is "Me versus all of my friends." Yeah, right? I know.
0: It's just, just hilarious. Yeah. So Joe Keery is a pretty much a. Yeah, little gift isn't he so if you want some fun little extra bits to your life definitely follow all the cast on social media
1: yeah definitely definitely
0: and also follow us on social yeah, if media if you want some
1: real real fun real <laughs>
0: fun real talk from us um uh, we are obviously on twitter at real llw you can email us at loveslabourswatched at gmail.com no punctuation or anything just lowercase those letters um we like hearing from you guys um yeah you can also review us
1: on itunes and you can comment and like and leave reviews on soundcloud as well if that's what you listen all to all that and kind produce. of stuff
0: and obviously feel free to look at us for soundcloud and itunes we're all up there but yeah that's it from us do let us know if it's anything you want us to talk about we are as yet undecided as always is what we're talking about next week yeah. but we may have some idea but so maybe we'll let you know but maybe we won't who knows? I think surprise is always fun, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think so.
0: <laughs> love a good surprise. <laughs> Gives us more time to decide. I mean, decide. this one was like
1: a surprise for us too. So. No, I know.
0: We didn't expect to... I didn't I didn't go into this film expecting anything. And I came up being like, what? Oh my gosh. I still don't really know how... To, I haven't really processed it yet still.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's very fresh. It's very fresh. Having only seen it like Less than twenty-four hours ago. Oh gosh, so <laughs> yeah.
0: but I do really want to see it again. Yeah, absolutely. But mostly because in the end Elio and Oliver were so cute and you're like, oh my god, they're so sweet. Ugh. But yeah, thanks for listening, guys Yeah, thanks. So we'll see you next time. Bye.